welcome to the UCSF Sports Medicine Podcast, six to eight weeks, perspectives in medicine. During our program, we continue to cover a variety of hot topics in the sports medicine world and more. Winter is upon us and you know what that means. It's time for most of us, or at least a lot of us, to start with their ski and snowboard season. Before you hit the slopes, have you ever wondered what injuries are lurking inside the powder or more appropriately sometimes on the ice or in the slush, especially as we hit spring skiing? Today, we're going to dive into the specifics of muscle training for ski season, exploring the myths and facts of ski safety and uncovering some of the mysteries behind the infamous last run of the day. Joining us today is one of our favorite return hosts, Danny Keller from UCSF's Department of Physical Therapy and Rehab Sciences. He's going to tell you how to have a safe and fun ski season. So welcome, Danny. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you bringing me back. Of course. So for the first question, are you a snowboarder, skier, something else? The question of every ski season. I am a snowboarder. Sorry to say. I know. It's... Now, why do you say, sorry to say, we all know Drew likes to ski, but there's no problem these days. I think it's about 40% snowboarders, 60% skiers. Did you grow up snowboarding in the Bay Area, somewhere else? Yeah, well, Drew pops his collar a lot, so that's why we know he skis. But we, uh, no, I I grew up in Sacramento, so I wasn't far from Tahoe. So I started snowboarding when I was a kid and never looked back. For me, uh, anytime my feet are apart from each other and not connected, they tend to go the opposite direction. So I stuck with snowboarding and wakeboarding instead of snow skiing and water skiing. What was your worst injury that you can remember? On a snowboard, probably the worst thing I ever got was a pretty bad concussion. I had a few where I caught my edge pretty bad on the backside and slammed my head in. And when I first started snowboarding and I was a kid, that was where back in the days where helmets weren't cool. I definitely only had the pad of a, of a beanie. And so it was a pretty nasty one. I can still remember it. I got cut off and turned sideways and caught the back edge. And I think I tumbled about three times. That was probably my worst injury. I had a few, you know, wrist injuries, things like that, sprains, but nothing too bad there, mostly concussions. Yeah, from where we sit, skiing and snowboarding look pretty dangerous. But the reality is, is most people are able to get through a ski and snowboard season without injuring themselves. That said, there's about 76,000 ski injuries every year and about 53,000 snowboarding injuries every year. And these can be anything from a hamstring strain or a quad pull all the way up to severe knee injuries, concussions. Drew, what sort of injuries do you see coming with this ski season? And is it the same every year or? are their differences? Yeah, it's pretty similar most years, but we definitely see an increase in ACL injuries, especially. And I think a lot of that has to do with just us being orthopedic surgeons. And we're not going to see that, you know, hamstring strain or more minor injury, but, you know, ACL injuries, MCL injuries, other knee ligament injuries, uh, meniscus tears, those happen pretty frequently. And then a lot of shoulder fractures that kind of increases this time of year too, just from falling on the arm and impacting. You know, we don't, or I don't treat a lot of concussions, but that's, you know, definitely a a large part of it too, for sure. In doing some of the research for this podcast, I was looking back at some of the injury rates and the one that's really dropped the most is concussions. Because I think when we all grew up, almost nobody wore a helmet. You were either really, really bad or really, really good to wear a helmet. And everybody else just kind of said, well, I'm going to fall down. If it's icy, I might hit my head. I might see stars. But really, the main difference in terms of injury rates has been a dramatic decline in concussions. But the other thing I thought was really interesting was that 
as our technologies have shifted, especially for skiing, it used to be that the most common injury we would see in the lower extremity was actually a fracture right above the boot, which is kind of scary when you think about it. You think your boots are protective. We'll talk a little bit about bindings, but in the 40s and 50s, the most common injury was a tibia fracture. So right above the boot, you would fall down and then you would just snap your leg right above the boot because they were so rigid. And a lot of these injuries have gone down, but we do see an increase in knee sprains, especially ACL and MCL injuries, as well as a lot of upper extremity injuries. I guess this is a question for both of you. Are skiers and snowboarders prone to the same injuries or different injuries? I would say definitely not. Snowboarding, obviously there's similarities, but snowboarding, because you're locked into the board, we don't tend to see as many knee injuries in that sport. ACLs that I tend to see come from skiers just because of that free nature of the legs and the feet and then the ski being able to get caught in awkward positions in terms of falling. Snowboarders, I tend to see more upper extremity injuries more than anything. Skiers, I would say, are more prone to those knee and every once in a while hip, but mostly knee injuries overall. Sure. I wanted to focus a little bit with Danny on what sort of exercises you offer to patients, either they're recovering from an injury or they're trying to get back in shape for ski season. What are some of the key things that you think should be targeted before ski season? And does that change during the ski season in order to maintain a healthy muscle core during the year? I think it's always the big question leading up to ski season. Either people have had an injury or a surgery over the last couple of months and they want to get back to skiing. And so it's, can I, and if so, how do I, or it's, you know, they're trying to avoid an injury as much as possible going into that ski season because they want to ski a lot. I think the biggest thing when we talk about skiing specifically is a lot of lower extremity strength and endurance. You know, the, the two pieces that I always talk about are quad and, and hip strength. You've got to be in that kind of squat position for a long period of time. If you're doing a whole day of runs, you got to be able to kind of pivot from side to side. So having good quad strength to be able to control that knee bend as you go through and have a nice controlled ability to do that. It's very similar to when we talk about ACLs and deceleration and being able to control that knee flexion over a long period of time during a game or a match or whatever it is that you're playing. So for me, quads and hips are the most important thing. You know, we always talk about quote unquote core strength, but trunk strength is really important as well for being able to control your trunk around your legs. Having that endurance to be able to do it throughout the day is, is another piece of that puzzle that I think a lot of people forget is, yeah, I can lift 300 pounds on the squat rack, but can you do it over a long period of time at a smaller weight range to be able to get through that whole day and not fatigue and lose that ability to control that knee flexion? Okay, so let's break that down a little bit. Starting with your core stability exercises, what are a couple really good exercises that you think are good, particularly either for skiing or I guess any of those kind of moderate intensity, long endurance sports? One of my favorites is planks. You know, there's a lot of different variations in planks. You can make them more exciting or less exciting, more fun, less fun. But having the ability to, to hold a plank is a really good trunk endurance exercise and engages a lot of muscles of the trunk and of the hips, really coordinates things well. So I'm a big fan of planks. And then the other big piece that I would add to that is in the anti-rotation exercises. So things like band press outs or walkouts where you're resisting that rotation through there to be able to control rotation. I think it's really important for spinal muscles and abdominal muscles to be able to do that when you're coming down the hill because the body has to stay straight while the legs are kind of turning around you. And I think that's important for both snowboarders and skiers is to have that anti-rotation piece. 
I really like both of those because you can pretty much do them at home. You just have to order some bands online, which are about $15. Drew's a 40-odd-year-old skier. Not yet. Long, <laughs> you're not even 40 yet? Oh, my God. <laughs> or you're not a skier yet. Um, <laughs> how long should an average adult be able to hold a plank before they can say, hey, you know, our core stability is pretty good? Are you asking the 40-year-old Drew or... No, I I better be asking you. (laughs) Well, you threw it at Drew. For me, I have a 30-second cutoff. I get really bored with planks if it's longer than 30 seconds. I've had people come in and tell me they do planks for 6, 10, 12 minutes, and I'm not really sure what they do. I always ask them what book they're reading while they do it. So for me, I just lose interest, and a lot of people do as well. I don't think it's necessary to have to hold for that long. A lot of times when we talk about planks, once they hit that 30-second mark and it's manageable, I tend to add movement to it. It's a lot of times what we do with trunk stability is we have to be able to move our legs or do something with our legs underneath our trunk. And so we'll start to add things like leg lifts. We can add things like arm movements. You can do bird dog style or put them on a ball, make it more exciting, make it more engaging. One of the biggest problems that we have with every patient going both into ski season through rehab in general, or just kind of having that program that they want to do is maintaining adherence to it. It's really hard to do over a long period of time. So if you're not engaging in an exercise or activity that's keeping your interest, if I'm sitting there for six minutes every day, generally it's not going to last very long and and that deconditioning is going to start to happen. Those are all really good points. Moving down the kinetic chain, what about hips? What exercises do you teach people to get their hips and their leg external rotation stronger? There's a couple of big pieces there. One, bridges are always a good piece of that. Most skiers are strong enough to be able to do a normal double leg bridge without any problem, and it's not going to give them too much benefit. So I tend to focus on single leg bridges. Again, we get a little bit of that anti-rotation piece where they can't, they're not trying not to rotate through their pelvis and drop one side. So single leg bridges are really good. It's really important, especially for skiers, to work one leg at a time. A lot of people will do things all double leg, and then they're not training where the deficit is. They'll always compensate with the stronger leg. So it never really improves that bias, and that can create a lot of issues when you're skiing if you catch an edge and you can't control it very well on that leg. You know, we talk about the upslope leg always being a big problem. Being able to control that dip, being able to control that hip movement on one leg at a time is really important. So that, and then any rotation stuff, you know, there's clamshells that are the most boring exercise ever invented, but they can be beneficial. You can do a lot of different variations to them. You can do them standing, you can do sidestepping with a band. Those types of things are really, really engaging and they, they'll be difficult and they really help with that, like you said, external rotation of the hip standing clamshell or external rotation or the side squats are really helpful, mainly because you don't have to do a ton to be sore. So you feel where the effect is. It's really easy to isolate those hip external rotation exercises. And I think a lot of patients focus on their quads. What exercises do you like? And are there any that you don't like for quads, especially as it pertains to ski season and injury recovery? Yeah, I think the knee extension gets a really bad rap, but I think it's probably the best exercise that a skier can do as long as they don't have knee pain when they do it. If they have kind of front of the knee pain, then we have to modify it a little bit and there's there's modifications we can make. But that's the most isolated quad exercise that we have. And it's been shown time and time and time again to really improve quad strength and quad control. So when we talk about the quads, I always tell people whether it's, a, you know, like you talked about, you can get some bands, time around a, a chair or a table and just, you know, work on that kick out movement. That one's really important. 
you know, I think squats are always important. Squatting is what you do when you ski or snowboard. So understanding how to coordinate your hips with your thighs, understanding how to control that motion, stay in that motion. So whether it's prolonged hold squats or repetitive squats, add some weight to it. You can do things like Bulgarian lunges or, or what we call rear foot elevated squats, which are great for that single leg piece to it as well and coordinate the hips and the quads together. So those are my kind of top three in both building strength and endurance and then also coordinating the hip with the, with the thigh as well. And do you think you need to be adding a lot of weight for this or is this something that you should be doing with one kettlebell like Drew uses in clinic, or is it more something that just body weight is sufficient? Drew at least uses a kettlebell. You use one of those fluffy <laughs> balls and you know you think it, it's heavy enough. But the thing is that when we talk about adding weight, it depends on what you're trying to do. We talk about specificity a lot. And you know, the traditional three by ten that physical therapy has always done is a it drives us crazy for those, especially those of us that work at UC. Because if you look at the evidence, three by ten isn't specific. We need to talk about how much load you're putting through there. If you're trying to build strength in a muscle, you have to add load. There's no way to get around it. You're not going to get stronger unless you add enough load. So if you are kind of starting at a weaker point and your strength is tested by a physical therapist or a personal trainer, and they're saying, look, you're, you're not strong enough to be able to do this well, then you need to add load. If you're really focusing on endurance and you're trying to just do it over a longer period of time to get to that end of the day run and be able to still have some strength in those legs, then you can do higher repetition, lower load. And you can still get away with a really good amount of workout. And, you know, there's some studies that show going to fatigue is just as good as loading up weight. I think you can do it one way or the other. It just might take you a little bit more time to do it to that fatigue point. But I definitely think loading is important. I think those are all great exercises and gives you a good idea of like a 15 minute routine you can do a few times a week. One of the things in looking at all the data that's out there, and I don't want to say data, let's say things that other groups publish, there's a lot of myths and facts around ski injuries. And one of the things I think we've done a bunch of times on the six to eight weeks podcast is look at some of the facts versus fiction on different things, whether it's steroid injections, runner's knee, things like that. So I'm going to ask you all some questions and I want you to tell me whether or not you think that it's a true statement or a myth. And these are all the things that we got from reading injury prevention things on other online sources, including my favorite, which is Reddit. True or false? Drew, advanced skiers are less likely to get injuries. Uh, I think that's true. Yeah, absolutely. When we look at the injury breakdown, if you take people in beginner, intermediate, and advanced, about two-thirds of injuries are what their ski instructors would term beginner-type people. So these are people that don't control their legs very well. They sometimes will snowplow, which is an inherently risky move for your knee. So it's great when you're four, five, six, seven years of age. But when you're 35, if you're snowplowing, you're putting a lot of torque on the inside of your knee. And if you catch it, that inside side edge, you're immediately at risk for a knee injury. Advanced skiers also have a little bit more situational awareness. They tend to know when conditions are starting to turn poor. You'll notice that they are not on that last run of the day. They are taking another way down the hill because they know that that slushy area may be putting you at a little bit more risk. All right, Danny, since you've talked so much about conditioning, does getting in better condition lower your risk of injury? I mean, I think that's a tough question because lowering your risk is tough, but I'm going to say yes. I, I do think you need to be in better condition overall. 
I think it's a tough question to answer. I know in our practices, we tend to see people a little bit more commonly that were a little bit out of shape or at least felt that they were out of shape going into the ski season. And realistically, there's no downside in spending a month or two getting ready for a season just like you would for any other athletic endeavor. All right, Drew, this is one of my favorite ones, actually. Is buying your equipment safer than renting? No, I don't think that's true. Why? Uh, I mean, I think usually the rental equipment, you know, it's checked regularly. It's kept up to date. I think, you know, the maintenance part of it, if you're skiing regularly, you have your own equipment, you know how to keep it in good shape and everything, then that's probably beneficial. And then there's certainly like the performance aspects, the convenience aspects, but most ski shops are checking their gear, giving you, you know, well-tested gear. And I don't think you're at a disadvantage. The idea is that if you have your own stuff, you're inherently better because you have your own stuff. Not true. You're probably just a little bit wealthier and that you're automatically potentially going to be keeping up with your equipment. And the reality is most people don't. Most people that have their own equipment maybe will bring it to a ski shop every year, but a good storm comes in, like there's one coming in this week. Ski areas are open. You get your stuff. You haven't tuned anything up. So you're already disadvantaged in terms of whether or not your stuff is tuned up. The other thing that happens is that if you are renting from a ski shop, they actually have standards. So they have to pass standards by the American Society of Testing and Materials or the ASTM, which runs a whole bunch of different standardization protocols, including ski and snowboard industry. So these groups that are renting have to maintain their equipment at a level that's probably higher than your garage has to. Along the same lines, will keeping your bindings loose for skiing prevent injury? I guess, Danny, what do you think? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think, you know, you need to make sure you have enough stability in that binding that you don't come out. And I've seen that happen before where somebody's skiing down the hills and their skis further down the hill than they are. I think that's probably a myth. Yeah, totally. So I think it's one of those things where people, especially when they start playing with their own bindings, get the sense of, well, if I loosen my bindings, I'll pop out and therefore I won't hurt yourself, which is absolutely true in really heavy powder or if you're going to land on your butt first. The problem is, is if you loosen them too much and that your ski pops out and then you put your foot down, your boot is not made for skiing and you're at relatively high risk for a more severe knee injury. Along the same lines, Drew, if you lean back while skiing in powder to avoid falling, is that more safe or less safe? Probably it sounds less safe, you know, that you're going to be out of control. You're not going to be able to accommodate well. My technique might not be the finest either. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, true. Like I said, videos. True Um, and true. (laughs) So, yeah, it's absolutely true. So the idea is that if you're skiing in powder, you'll lean backwards. It keeps your tips up. Absolutely. It'll keep your tips up. The problem is, is once you lose that center of balance and center of rotation, you're inherently more at risk, especially for your knees on that first turn. If your hips are behind your ski boots and then you turn, you're inherently going to end up putting more risk on that uphill ski. So the goal is to keep yourself centered and lift your tips up, which means those little muscles in the front of your feet shouldn't be pulling your ski up. And then I think the one that's probably most interesting for us as people do a lot of ACL surgery, Drew, does that ACL brace when people return after ACL injury, does that lower your injury risk? There's some data that in the first year back that it does. And so I'll usually recommend it to people who are going back that first year. 
it doesn't substitute for good muscle strength, for full recovery, good stability, good surgical reconstruction. None of those things can be ruled out just with the brace. But yeah, I think it does. And then it's usually something that it doesn't get in the way of performance. So it can be worth using. Yeah, I totally agree. What I tell my patients for the most part is if you want a brace, especially for that first year, if it gets you out there and allows you to ski a little bit more, ski a little bit more confidently, there's not great data, but it's totally safe. I think one of the myths that often comes up around bracing is, well, you're going to make the muscles weaker by wearing a brace, which is absolutely not true. Your muscles are going to function on a whole different level than the strength of the brace. So you're not going to weaken anything by wearing a brace. Along those lines, there's this idea, Danny, that the last run of the day is inherently the least safe run of the day. Is that true or false? I think it depends. Depends on a lot of factors of how long you've been out there, what your endurance has looked like growing up to it. But I do think that there's probably a little bit of a higher risk at the end of the day, just from that fatigue factor. We talk about the same thing in ACL injuries in other sports. If you can't control the leg, if you're landing hard and not absorbing through that knee and you're shifting the force through that leg rather than nice shock absorption through there, all of a sudden now it's uncontrolled or hard, you definitely can be at a higher risk. So I do think that that we do see that fairly often where it's the last run of the day that people injure themselves. And a lot of it comes down to that fatigue factor within endurance. Yeah. I think we didn't talk about it too much, but fatigue is really, really important. Once you're tired, regardless of the sport, you are at more risk for injury. I think from my standpoint, what I tell patients, Hey, look, three o'clock, the conditions are changing. You're getting tired. Then I think it's time to take a break, maybe not get the last run of the day, every single day, especially if you're going up for multiple days. That's about it for this week on six to eight weeks. Our producer, Andrew, wanted us to let a fun fact fly out there. He fractured his kneecap in high school because he ran into a tree. Well, not surprisingly, tree skiing. On the bright side, he didn't hit his head. So he is currently getting interviews for orthopedic surgery. So hopefully, y'all, if you are in the trees, you're using your knees to protect your head, just like Andrew did. Hopefully this was informative. Hopefully Danny gave you some good exercise tips. And we all know to watch out for Drew, especially after 4 p.m. on the ski slopes. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for listening to the UCSF Sports Medicine Podcast, six to eight weeks, perspectives in medicine. What do you think of this topic? connect with us now. In addition to finding our contact form, you'll also find our social media links in our entire six to eight weeks episode archive. Help us grow our listenership by liking, subscribing, and sharing everywhere. We're eager to hear from you and we'll be sending you more great thought-provoking content in less than six to eight weeks.